0: Turn to Matthew chapter 5. A man named John Fox wrote a book in 1563 that was originally called Acts and Monuments. It was later renamed Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'd like to read an excerpt from Fox's Book of Martyrs, chapter 2, to begin our morning. Chapter 2, Ten Primitive Persecutions, the fourth persecution under Marcus Aurelius, A.D. 162. Marcus Aurelius followed about the year of our Lord 161, a man of nature more stern and severe, and although in study of philosophy and in civil government no less commendable, yet toward Christians sharp and fierce, by whom was moved the fourth persecution. The cruelties used in this persecution were such that many of the spectators shuddered with horror at the sight and were astonished at the intrepidity of the sufferers. Some of the martyrs were obliged to pass with their already wounded feet over thorns, nails, sharp shells, etc. Upon their points, others were scourged until their sinews and veins lay bare. And after suffering the most excruciating tortures that could be devised, they were destroyed by the most terrible deaths. Germanicus, a young man, but a true Christian being delivered over to wild beasts on account of his faith, behaved with such astonishing courage that several pagans became converts to a faith which inspired such fortitude. All right, I got to regroup. I got a lot of sermon in front of me. Polycarp, the venerable bishop of Smyrna. He was carried before the proconsul, condemned and burnt in the marketplace. The proconsul urged him, saying, Swear, I will release thee. Reproach Christ, and Polycarp answered, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? Gracious. Metrodorus is a story that's told next, and one of Peonius, Papulus, Agatonica, Carpus, Felicitatus, Januarius, Justin. And then we pick up with a story of a young woman named Blandina, a Christian lady. All right, seriously of a weak constitution. Blandina, on the day when she and the three other champions were first brought into the amphitheater, she was suspended on a piece of wood fixed in the ground and exposed as food for wild beasts, at which time, by her earnest prayers, she encouraged others. All right, we're going to park Blandina right there and we're going to come back to her later on in the morning we're in matthew chapter 5 verses 10 um, through 12 primarily verses 11 and 12 Um, i'm going to read these passages and share with you our plan for the morning all right i'm seriously i'm embarrassed i'm sorry good friend jerry my best friend, Jerry. <laughs> okay, plan for the morning. Thank you, Jerry. I needed that. All right. It's to look at the eighth and ninth Beatitudes together. But just for a moment, together. And then we're going to spend the rest of the morning unpacking the ninth Beatitude. There are three kinds of suffering here in the ninth Beatitude. And then we're going to look at three applications that our Lord gave 2,000 years ago that we get to enjoy this morning. Three beautiful, wonderful applications okay so let's just look at these passages together first of all verses 10 through 12 blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that's the eighth beatitude (laughs) the ninth blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you okay let me give you a little bit of a big picture before we just look at these two Beatitudes together. Uh, verses 11 through 16, okay, which is where we're going to be this morning and the next two Sundays, are kind of like a unit that closes out the introduction to the greatest sermon that has been ever recorded in our Bible, preached by the greatest preacher that has ever lived, Jesus Christ, God the Son. We are in a wonderful place in God's Word this morning. We are standing here on a mount enjoying the closing of the introduction to this wonderful, wonderful sermon. The way this ninth beatitude fits, and I'm going to talk about them together in a moment, but the way this ninth beatitude fits, it's a linking thought. It's a linking thought between the previous eight beatitudes and then this call to be salty and bright. Okay, it's a linking thought that's between the good life, which is what our series has been these last few months, the good life, the Beatitudes, and the effect of living the good life on these communities that we just prayed for. Whereas we walk out these radical sort of things in these places, that the effect will be that there will be salt in those places. There will be light in those places. So this all fits together, verses 11 through 16. The reason I want to spend a couple minutes um, dealing with with the 8th beatitude is because the 8th and the ninth are connected. But something I want to just kind of help maybe give you a special attentiveness this morning is what's happened in this 11th, in verse, verse 11, in this ninth beatitude. If you notice in verse 10, blessed are those, we're speaking third person, these people, those people. And then in verse 11, he starts to talk you people. He goes from third person to second person because something profound is happening there where he's turning. He's been speaking to the crowds but now he turns to his disciples and he's referring to them directly as you from this point on through the rest of the introduction all the way through verse 16. It is something that really we should appreciate. This is a significant moment of eye contact between this Lord and his immediate followers. He's looking them in the eye and he's sort of landing the plane with some profound teaching. Okay, now let's just take a moment and consider the 8th and ninth beatitude together. From these two beatitudes, one in verse 10, which is the 8th beatitude, one in verse 9, which is the 11th and 12th, uh, or one in verse 11 and 12, which is the ninth beatitude, I may have said those backwards, is there are two things presented, two reasons for being persecuted. Okay, well, here's the first reason. In verse 10, in the eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That means literally because of righteousness. That's where we were last week. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. The righteousness that characterizes the lives of those who follow Christ serve as a silent but screaming indictment against those who aren't living righteous lives. You don't have to say a word. Just by living a righteous life, it is an indictment against those leading sinful lives. So blessed are those who are persecuted for their righteous lives. That's the first reason we considered last week. Persecution because of righteousness. Now this is in parallel to where we're going this morning in the ninth beatitude. Let's look at this one in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. See, it's a little obscure in our English translations here. But the Greek puts these in parallel. Because literally what that says there in on my account, it is because of me. So you take those two things together in the eighth beatitude, you're going to be persecuted because of righteousness. In the ninth beatitude, you're going to be persecuted because of me very clear he's putting these things in parallel and in some ways they're significantly connected taken together i want to show you two thoughts of how it's important that we take these together first of all this shows that the righteous life that's in view in the eighth beatitude there in verse 10 because of righteousness is connected to and because of because of me in that ninth uh, beatitude because of Jesus. The persecution that person, someone experiences in that eighth beatitude is going to be because of the connectedness to the ninth beatitude. The righteous lives of the eighth beatitude are connected to the because of me of the ninth beatitude. And if you try and disconnect those, I don't want to take it for a moment that you understand that and just take that at face value. And just move right on. Because we should take a moment to make sure we understand that that we understand righteous lives separated from Christ are bankrupt. In fact, you can't even live a righteous life apart from Christ. You might be even be doing the right thing for all the wrong reasons, and then there it's sin. And anything done apart from faith is sin. So the righteous lives that are portrayed in that eighth beatitude are connected inextricably to the because of me, the, the connectedness, the, the, the union with Christ, of the ninth beatitude. If you separate the two, you're going to be governed by pride-fueled moralism, Christless, I should say, Christless pride-fueled moralism. Or you're going to be connected to on the other extreme, the sort of sentimentality of Jesus but not really seeing him as Lord and Savior, actually issuing some commands. So the consequences are grave if you miss the connectedness between the 8th and the ninth. Righteous living and life with Jesus are inseparable people of God. They are inseparable. The disciple of Christ is so identified with the righteousness of Christ that there's no place for professing faith in Christ without also a life marked by the pursuit of righteousness. Do you hear that? Man, they are connected. The Sermon on the Mount isn't just a call to a moral life. If all you had was the eighth beatitude, you might land there. It's not just a call to a moral life, but it is grounded in the unique demands, and I should say the results of following and being in union with Christ. Man, I don't want to take for a moment that we get that. Here's the other thing, the other uh, point that we can draw away from taking these things together. The eighth and the ninth beatitude. If you look at them together, we've got to appreciate that suffering is an inevitable part of following Christ. Union with Christ will involve suffering. It's part and parcel. Second Timothy chapter 3 Verse 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that's the eighth and the ninth beatitude connected. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Man. It's just, it's just black and white and red right there. Okay. Let's take the ninth beatitude by itself and just sort of unpack this thing for the next few minutes we're going to unpack the ninth beatitude and then we're going to look at three applications that our lord gave us in the sermon on the mount okay blessed are you verse 11 we'll read it again blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because of me remember that's what we how we summarize it because of christ Each of these Beatitudes have a window into what it looks like or a window into some narrative or some teaching that develops the Beatitude a little bit more. And here's where this one is um, for this specific Beatitude in Matthew chapter 10. So turn to Matthew 10. And I'll go ahead and give you a heads up where I'm having you turn this morning. Matthew 10 is the first place. You can keep Matthew 5 on uh, kind of a a bookmark or something in there so you can come back to it because we're going to be, that's home base for us. We're going to... Take a couple of little brief looks over at a few different passages. Matthew 10 is one, Matthew 24 is another, Acts 5, Hebrews 11, and 2 Corinthians 4. And I'll read those again in case you're a note taker. <clears throat> Matthew 10, Matthew 24, Acts 5, Hebrews 11, 2 Corinthians 4. Okay, Matthew 10. Here's our little window into some additional teaching on how this... Um, how this suffering might play out, beginning in verse 22. I'm going to skip a couple passages in here for the flow. Okay, so you get the flow of what's actually being said here. In verse 22, he says he's teaching his disciples, he sent them out, and then here in this, you see the heading there above verse 16, persecution will come, and then we're going to pick up in verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look over at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Now look down at at the second half of verse 25. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Okay, I'm going to draw those passages out again. And we're going to sort of grab the goods in there. And then we're going to go back to Matthew 5 and unpack what's there. It says, You will be hated for all, for, by all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul... How much more will they malign those of his household? Okay, here are the things we're going to draw out of this window. We're kind of peering out of this window to see what this looks like that Jesus is talking about over there in Matthew chapter 5. This is what it's going to look like. You will be hated by all for my namesake, said there plainly. The second thing that we're going to draw, a disciple is not above his teacher or a servant above his master. When I read that, what I think about what is good for the goose is good for the gander. You ever heard that saying? What is good for the goose is good for the gander. That's actually a contemporary version of an older saying back in the 1600s. They actually used to say instead, what is sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. I like that one better. What is sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. A disciple is not above his teacher. A gander is not above the goose, nor a servant above his master. And the third thing that comes out as we peer through this window, that they called Christ and all that he did Beelzebul. Beelzebul actually means prince of demons. It actually literally means lord of the flyers. That's where the the title of a movie or a book came from, Lord of the Flies. Man, he said, if they're going to call me that, how much more members of my household? Be ready for it. Expected. We're going to peer through that window and see those things. You're going to be hated. You're going to be in the sauce with the goose. And if they called him Beelzebul, how much more will they malign you? Now, let's go back to chapter 5 and see how this plays out. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount and see what this looks like as we unpack this. The three things that are drawn, three little windows... Uh, I use that term windows. Let me call it something else. Three little ways that suffering plays out for those who follow Christ. And here's the first. Because of Christ, others will revile you. The word for revile there, the Greek word also means insult. Others will insult you. Followers of Christ are easy prey and easy to ridicule. All you have to do is watch television or contemporary movies to see how easily Christians are portrayed as real goobers. I read an article one guy sort of capturized, or he, uh, he captured and uh, sort of summarized, capturized, that was a good word, um, that, that's kind of a summary of what it was like how Christians are portrayed in contemporary movies. He said, We're either portrayed as sweet idiots, judgmental hypocrites, or dangerous fanatics. Just think about the movies and the TV shows. And you can understand what he's talking about there. Christians are easy prey in contemporary settings. And I'll share a passage with you that I hope will encourage you as you consider that notion of being insulted and reviled. And just listen to this passage if you would. I'm not having you turn here. I just want you to listen. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. And saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him. Saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For, his, for, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Man, our Lord was mocked by both the living and the dying in that context. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What's happened to the master will happen to the servant. My encouragement to you from this passage, I think, is Christ's encouragement as he looks his disciples dead in the eye 2,000 years ago on that mount, is don't try to be cool or liked. You haven't been called to walk out this world pursuing being cool and liked. Everyone in this room wants to be liked, of course. But more than that, You've been called to walk out this world pursuing Christ, knowing that there will be occasions where you are unliked, reviled, and insulted simply for that love, just because you love Christ. Be prepared for it. Your goal is not cool. Your goal is not liked. Your goal is Christ. The second thing that comes out of this passage in Matthew 5 and verse 11, this draw second window or second picture that we can draw out is that you will be persecuted because of Christ. We considered that in the last beatitude, but we didn't consider some details I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes. Between November 1st, 2017 and November 1st, 2018. Okay, really recent. Over 245 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution. 245 million Christians. 4,305 Christians lost their lives for for their faith in that calendar year. 4,305. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings were damaged or destroyed during that year period. 3,150 believers were detained, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned without trial during that one year period. This is something that I hope really surprises you. I I hope it it connects something, something in you where you go, oh my gosh, what is going on here? Turn to Matthew 24. I want you to turn to that passage before I share this this detail with you. Matthew 24. I want you to be ready for something I'm about to share with you. Matthew 24. Recent estimates suggest that 70 million Christians were martyred in the first 2,000 years of the history of the church. 70 million. Now here's what will really blow your mind. Of this 70 million, 45 million were martyred between the years 1900 and 2000. 2,000 years of church history... Two-thirds of that 70 million martyrs happened within, essentially, the last hundred years. The last hundred years. Jesus talked about persecution a lot. It was very important to him to prepare his disciples to be ready for it and how to handle it. He talks about it all over the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25, verses 34 through 36. Matthew 21, verses 34 through 36. Matthew 23, verses 29 through 37. Now listen to this passage though here in verse in chapter 24. Look at the heading signs of the end of the age. And then pick up in verse 9. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. He's talking about the last days. And he's talking about persecution and tribulation, suffering increasing in the last days. And here's, we, here's something I want you to consider. Here we sit potentially in the last days of this story. The days leading up potentially to Christ's return. And yet we're so safe, we're so secure, and so comfortable that we could potentially have become myopic. You know what that means? Nearsighted. We're just looking around our our little space here, around our homes, around our little neighborhoods. Everybody's fine. Everybody's good. We could potentially have walked out this situation where we're living here in this space thinking that our days are small and insignificant. We're preparing for Advent right now. A few of us that are going to be preaching through Advent are studying the book of Zechariah. And I think Advent this year is going to be awesome. We're studying the book of Zechariah. And the problem in the time of Zechariah, about 400, 500 years before Christ came, is that the people, it's described in chapter 4, verse 10 of Zechariah, is that they thought their days were small. What they didn't know is this massive story is being lived out and played out in front of them. They're heavily taxed. They're burdened by their neighbors. They're trying to build the temple and everybody's pushing back and They're discouraged. And they're thinking their days are small. And we could be thinking right now, right here in safe Greenville, our days are small. We could miss the import of our days and just live and breathe and eat and collect more stuff. And die safe and secure with no prayers for our brothers and sisters in Christ abroad. And no aching for Christ's return because we're not suffering. And this adds a whole new meaning and depth to Advent for me. I hope it does for us as a church where we can begin to join our brothers and sisters abroad in begging for his return because of the suffering of the saints all over the world. Two-thirds of that 70 million are within the last hundred years. Man, what if we are in the last days and we're sitting here in safe, secure, agreeable? It's not our fault. We're not to blame because we're safe and secure. Let's celebrate and enjoy Jesus out loud in freedom. But let's at least still acknowledge it. Let's peer outside of our nearsightedness and see the rest of the world and realize that Christians all over the world are suffering, are being persecuted for the very things we're talking about here. Last week, I kind of preached that message, kind of apologetic. Like, I not really know that things are that bad. Yeah. Well, took my glasses off well i put my glasses on i was nearsighted and i'm peering outside of our context and going man our world full of christians suffering (laughs) jerry and i talk about this often fish don't know they're wet i've heard it from him a hundred times fish don't know they're wet but let me tell you right now you're wet and let me tell you this too the water is getting hotter Let's peer outside of our nearsightedness and see that because of Christ, our brothers and sisters all over the world are being persecuted. The third thing that comes out of this passage in Matthew chapter 5 is that because of Christ, people will utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. I remember the saying when I was growing up, I bet some of you have heard it and maybe even said it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Right? trying to encourage our kids and get back out there in school you can do this thing well it turns out words actually do hurt they actually do hurt if you take the eighth and ninth beatitude together that's talking about insults and being reviled and talking about persecutions and then talking about false things uttered and said about you two-thirds of what he's talking about here involves something verbal Sticks and stones do hurt, but words do as well. And it hurts when you are reviled. It hurts when you are mocked. It hurts when you are insulted. And it hurts when people say all kinds of evil things about you on account of Christ. And he's preparing them for that reality. It's going to happen. The early church was accused of cannibalism. In the Roman context, Roman Empire, they accused them of cannibal. Do you know Why? Because of what we're going to do in a few minutes. Because of the Lord's Supper. They were also accused of being incestuous. You want to know why they were accused of being incestuous? Because I'm married to my sister in Christ, Christy McGraw. Oh, they must be practicing incest over there and eating people. Man, be ready for it. All kinds of evil things said about you on account for Christ. On account of Christ. Sauce for goose is sauce for gander. Okay, so the Lord gives us some sweet application that comes out of this passage, and it's wonderful. I, I love when a passage, where he just serves it up, and he just served it up for us here in verse 12. Let's look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Three wonderful things that come out of this. Here's the first, rejoice and be glad. In the Greek, they're commands. Rejoice and be glad. In the original language, you could translate the the two words for rejoice and be glad to both mean rejoice. But the, the word that is translated here for be glad actually became a technical term for what you did when you were experiencing persecution on account of Christ's sake, on account of his name. It became like a technical term, a parking space for this person has been martyred or this person is suffering on account of Christ. Be glad. (laughs) Rejoice, commandment, and be glad. Turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to show you a little window into a, a few guys doing this very thing. I'm going to summarize this story really briefly because I want to get to this second point. This is is important though. Rejoice and be glad. And here's a little window. In Acts chapter 5 is the story of the apostles. Uh, um, They've been arrested. They've been arrested by those that are filled with jealousy. They just couldn't take the fact that people are listening to them. That people are following the apostles and their preaching. This is post-Pentecost. So they're imprisoned. The angel of the Lord lets him out of prison in the middle of the night. You know that story where the doors just open? So then they go to the temple and start preaching. I mean, goodness gracious. I think I'd be slipping out. Oh, man, let's go home. Let's go find a place to hide. But these guys went right to the temple, right to, right in harm's way, right to the middle of the, the uh, potential problem. Entered the temple at daybreak to teach. They're questioned then, rearrested. They're questioned again by the council and then in verse 29, there's this wonderful response. The question about why are you preaching? And Peter says, the apostle answered, we must obey God rather than men. Love that answer. It sounds a lot like Martin Luther's response. We must obey God rather than men. So then in verse 33, they're enraged and ready to kill them. In verse 34 begins, Gamil- Fizzle out. if it is from God, you better not get in the way. So then we pick up over here in verse, kind of halfway through verse 39. So they took Gamaliel's advice. That's a good idea, Gamaliel. Let's just stay out of his way. If it's from God, we don't want to get in the way of it. But if it's not from God, it's just going to fizzle out. And when they called the apostles, they just for good measure gave him a good beating. <laughs> I mean, isn't that funny? Like, oh, Gamaliel, you're making a lot of sense. Yeah, let's just leave him alone. Oh, by the way, let's just go ahead and beat the you-know-what you know out of him. just for good measure, send them off bloody and bruised. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council. And I'm just imagining how this could have gone down. They leave the presence of the council saying, Peter, look at the mess you got us into this time. Man, I'm beat all to heck. I'm bloody and bruised. I can barely walk. I got a headache. I'm sure I have a mild concussion. Peter, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I knew it was a bad idea to preach in the temple in the first place. We should have laid low for a while, regrouped. I could imagine, too, you know, that they might leave the presence of the council saying, some of them might be saying, guys, I'm out. That was too close a call. We could have been done. I'm out. I can't do this thing anymore. But here's what they did instead of those two possibilities. It says they left the presence of the council saying or they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name they were doing what jesus commanded some how many years before in the ministry on that mount he's saying rejoice and be glad i'm commanding you in that moment and that's exactly what they did rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name that is beautiful rejoicing because they're counted worthy to suffer Man, we can celebrate and cheer for our brothers and sisters all over the world who are being persecuted while we pray for their deliverance and we pray for their endurance. We can also cheer they've been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And if in some way you experience some sort of suffering and tribulation, you can rejoice too and be glad that if you're experiencing some sort of persecution or insult or people saying false things about you on account of Christ, you're counted worthy to suffer. And you could say... To fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. Man, that's something to celebrate. Here's the second application. Remember and pray for our brothers and sisters. Remember, and I'm saying and pray, and I'm going to explain why in a moment. The first application was rejoice and be glad. Commandments, right from our Lord. And this one you might think, well, he didn't say that. He, He reminded them of the fate of the prophets. Look at what he says in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. moment. But the second four. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He reminded them about those who went before him. He reminded them about those who'd suffered before them. So we remember those who suffered before us. Because something happens when you do that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're almost there. We're almost there, and I want you to turn to 11. I want you to see this. I got one more place for you to go after this in 2 Corinthians 4, but you've got to see Hebrews chapter 11. The church in in the Hebrew context, the Jewish church, is just, you know, they're hunkering down in the Jewish quarters in the the, the heart of the Roman Empire. You can see the Roman forum right across the river. You can see the emperor prancing up and down. You can see this height of power, the central power right across the river there. And the Hebrew preacher is encouraging them don't waffle. Don't hunker down behind doors. Be salty and aromatic. He's encouraging them now in chapter 11, with you know what Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter about the heroes of the faith. Man, look what he does in beginning in verse. He's already shared about Abel, about Enoch, about Abraham, about Moses, and we're going to pick up in verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. This is all the awesome stuff that comes with following Christ. This comes to all the awesome stuff that comes with walking in faith. But we keep reading. Some were tortured being faithful. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves... Of the earth. Man, I just want to tell you, it must have been a galvanizing effect for them. It should be a galvanizing effect for us to consider that we, what he says in chapter 12, are surrounded by a host of witnesses, a great cloud. A great cloud of people who suffered before us. The prophets, the disciples, all the saints since then. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Man, what an unbelievable encouragement. Rejoice and be glad. Remember, they did this to the prophets. Blandina, on the day when she and three other champions were first brought into the amphitheater, she was suspended on a piece of wood fixed in the ground and exposed as food for the wild beasts, at which time, by her earnest prayers, she encouraged others. That's where we left off. But none of the wild beasts would touch her, so that she was remanded to prison. When she was again produced for the third and last time, she was accompanied by Ponticus, a youth of 15 Man, youth in the room, our youth in this room, don't miss this. Ponticus, a youth of 15, Blandina was believed to be a young woman as well. Ponticus, a youth of 15, and the constancy of their faith so enraged the multitude that neither the sex of the one nor the youth of the other were respected, being exposed to all manner of punishments and tortures. Being strengthened by Blandina... He, Ponticus, persevered to death. And she, after enduring all the torments heretofore mentioned, was at length slain with the sword. Fox writes, When the Christians upon these occasions received martyrdom, they were ornamented and crowned with the garlands of flowers, for which they in heaven received eternal crowns of glory. Chapter 19 of Fox's Book of Martyrs is a story of a man named John Bunyan. A great Puritan was born the same year that the Pilgrim Fathers landed at Plymouth. His home was Elstow near Bedford in England. His father was a tinker that he worked on little metal pots. And he was brought up in the same trade. One day he overheard three or four poor women in Bedford talking as they sat at the door in the sun. Their talk was about the new birth, the work of God in their hearts. And he said of them, they were far above my reach. He heard something that he didn't have. Some things happened to him in the war after that and some other circumstances connected with this. His conscience was further awakened through the persecution of the religious body of Baptists to whom he had himself joined. Before he was 30 years old, he became a leading Baptist preacher and then came his turn for persecution. He was arrested for preaching without license. It sounded like a big deal. It was a big deal then. And he said he was imprisoned, and it says, Verily, he says, I did meet my God sweetly in prison. His hardships were genuine on account of the wretched condition of the prisons of those days. To this confinement was added the personal grief of being parted from his young and second wife and four small children, and particularly his little blind daughter. While he was in jail, he was solaced by two books one of them the Bible as you would expect if you've read Pilgrim Progress this guy spoke and read and thought in Biblish you know what his other book was Fox's Book of Martyrs this thing that he carried around to galvanize him to be faithful in very difficult circumstances is the very thing that he's later written into He must have read the story that we read today about Blandina and Ponticus, Germanicus, Januarius. He must have read these stories and it must have encouraged him to stay true and to go the distance. Man, there's something to looking back at that host of witnesses that surround us and finding encouragement to press on. I want to share a website with you these last few years, uh, for many years, we've been praying on, on uh, a week morning. The men gather in prayer. It's not a big group of guys. That's maybe four or five guys uh, on a big Wednesday. Um, and Elisha Hollis is one of those, one of our brothers that joins us on. Uh, he must have childcare or something. Is he in here? Elisha is one of our brothers that regularly prays for someone who's being persecuted in some way in some place in the world. And we, we prayed this Wednesday morning for a, a woman who lost her husband, was martyred right in front of her, and a man who lost his wife, who was martyred right in front of them. And I asked him to connect me to this website, and I've asked that we could pull that up. I just want to acquaint you with this. It might help you to appreciate the cloud of witnesses, not only the ones that are behind us, but the ones that are going on right now those who are being persecuted right now, that the fish can realize that there are other, wet, there are other fish that are in really hot water right now. Okay, this website is, is called ICommitToPray.com. Uh, are we signed in? Yes. Uh, I guess we must be. So let's view more prayer requests right there to your left. There you go. I want you to look at the dates and look at the locations. October 31st, 2019 in Nepal. That's the first entry. The next one, October 31st in Sri Lanka. October 31st in Cameroon, go ahead and scroll down. Uh, October 24th in Indonesia, go ahead and load more prayers. October 24th in Iran, just look at some of those headings. Don't go so far, come back up. I have a couple that I want to take a look at. Scroll up. Yes, that one. October 17th, 2019 in India. Go ahead and scroll down below it. Go down below. Go down. Go down. Huh? Oh, that that uncooperative stuff. Okay, just go down when you can. I want to share a couple of brief stories with you. A young Christian woman was killed by her neighbors. And I'll be very mindful that we have children in here. A young woman uh, in eastern India was attacked and killed by neighbors in front of her home recently as her husband and three-year-old daughter watched in horror. Kasha married her husband... Uh, married, yeah, married her husband, Nadir, in 2014. They both became Christians in 2017. On August 27th, 2019, the family's preparing to have dinner when Nadir's father came to the door and began arguing with Kasha. When he began to beat her with a stick, Nadir and his younger brother intervened. In the ensuing scuffle, Nadir's brother struck his father... And at that point, a group of neighbors drinking nearby joined the fight, beating Kasha to death as Nadir and his daughter watched from behind some bushes. And this is the, the, the part that really, really gets to me. I mean, if that doesn't already. Afterward, the men chanted, whoever will do hallelujah will have the same consequences. That's the way they describe being a Christian. Whoever will do hallelujah will suffer the same consequences. Another entry on this page is a pastor that was martyred by radical communists in India. India's Nexolite political group has killed another evangelist, Pastor Sanvi. And his, pa- pastor Sanvi shared the gospel in villages near his home for the past six years as a bivocational minister, planting house churches in two of the villages. Though members of the local Nexolite group had repeatedly warned him to stop his ministry work, he continued to tell his neighbors about Jesus. Man, what a... St- what, what a manly, faithful man. Sensing something was wrong, his wife, Saisha, followed at a distance, carrying their two children. When she saw her husband tied to a tree, she began pleading with them to let Sanvi go. Instead, they killed him in front of her and their children. And this website encourages us to pray for our sister, our sister, Saisha, and to pray for their family as they grieve the loss of our brother, Sanvi. i share these stories with you because I think we are called to not only remember those who've gone before us, that host of witnesses, and to be galvanized by as we remember them, but also to pray for our brothers and sisters who are going through that right now in most of the world. The third thing that comes out of this passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 it's the last place I'll have you turn this morning 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and this is brief the application is rejoice and be glad rejoice and be glad secondly remember and pray for our brothers and sisters remember and pray for our brothers and sisters and then third consider your reward and stay the course came right from the passage, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. There's a danger of us reading something like this in terms of sort of a merit theology. If I do this, then God will do this. Don't read it that way, because that's not the point. That's not what's being said. This is not, if you do this, then you're going to get this. Because then that would make make us a bunch of consumers. Okay, worshipers are different. We're not going to do this and then get this. That's not the point that's being made there. What's instead being said is your reward. What's in store for the follower of Christ far exceeds any and every suffering. Even the crazy stuff that we just read. Even the crazy stuff that we realize is going on in our world. The reward is that sweet. What's in store for us is that awesome. Being with him will be that good second corinthians chapter 4 beginning in verse 12 paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to god and not to us we're afflicted in every way but we're not crushed we're perplexed but we're not driven to despair we're persecuted but not forsaken we're struck down but not destroyed always carrying carrying in the body the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. All right, he's talking about the suffering that comes with following Christ. Now listen to what he says over in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, this is just the craziest series of words that I've just in the world. This light and momentary affliction. Do you realize for Paul what we've been talking about this morning? Paul is characterizing as light and momentary affliction. The guy who was in prison, the guy was beaten, the guy was stoned. The guy was in multiple shipwrecks. He'd been starving. He'd been cold. And he counts those things as light and momentary affliction because of the next words in this passage. They are a light and momentary affliction and they're preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's the reward. That's the reward he's talking about. It's so fine. That we can continue on rejoicing and be glad. We can continue on remembering the saints before us, the great cloud of witnesses that surround us, the faithful brothers and sisters before us, and those present like Saisha, like Nadir, who are suffering now. And that we can be galvanized, encouraged, knowing that there is an eternal weight of glory waiting for us beyond all comparison. Man, that is good medicine. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that 2,000 years ago and for giving us that today. Let's pray. What good medicine, Lord. We so need this. We so needed to take, to see somehow beyond our context this morning, Lord, to connect to our brothers and sisters. We so needed to be encouraged and reminded and galvanized to press on in our circumstances, in these hard places in school where kids do really experience persecution for their, for their faith. These hard places may be in the workplace where we might actually experience insult and being reviled. We might have evil and false things said about us on account of Christ, Lord, that we can be encouraged with really good, tangible medicine. Lord, I'm thankful, too, that we've been uh, reminded or informed about some people that are suffering all over the world. Lord, we pray for Nadir and for his children. We pray for all in that context who do hallelujah. (laughs) Lord, we pray for them that they will be faithful. We pray that they will hold fast. We pray that they will rejoice and be glad. We pray that they will be encouraged by those who've gone on before them faithfully. We pray for Saisha and her children... We pray, Lord, for our resolve to follow Christ out loud, whatever it might cost us, whenever. Lord, that we will be faithful and true. We ask this of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.